to Open Minds Radio. I am Alejandro Rojas, and as usual, I have with me the incredible Jason McClellan. Greetings, Alejandro. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yes, uh, I'm glad you could join us, and I'm glad you can join us pretty much every week. Yep, it's always a sad week when I am unable to join you on Open Minds UFO Radio, the show that I love very much. Not necessarily, because if you can't join us often, it means you're on vacation, and that's fun. It it still does depress me slightly when I yeah. don't get to join you. <laughs> you sigh in bed and roll over and go back to sleep. That's right. Yeah, well, what can you do? What can you do? So we have a really cool guest today, uh, another person from Hollywood. We've got uh, Maddie Beckerman, who is a director and producer for this new movie, found footage movie that has come out called Alien Abduction. So it's been um, kind of slowly rolling out. It's, uh, you can watch it online. But uh, what's cool about this is we found out that the guy who did the movie, and we're going to talk all about it, he really wasn't into this topic. He was a skeptic. And then when he researched for the movie, he's really into it. And in fact, he's had kind of his own experiences since, and we'll talk about that soon here in just a minute with uh, Maddie. So that's going to be really cool. So you, you've written about this, right? Have you watched it yet? I have not watched it. I really want to see this. And uh, so this is this is the one that's based on the uh, the Brown Mountain Lights, right? Right, exactly. It's kind of it happens in the Brown Mountains where that all takes place, and uh, it is uh, kind of attached to all of that. And there's more to the Brown Mountains and uh, all of those legends and mysteries than I even knew. So we'll talk to to him about that as well. Yeah, I do find that whole story fascinating, and uh, it's fascinating that that's sort of what this movie's based on. And and I love that the guy did did his research into this, and so much so that it uh, kind of convinced him of some things. So I'm really excited to see this movie. All right. So uh, before we bring on Mr. Beckerman, let's talk some UFO news. So Jason, from the last week of UFO news, and we've got quite a few. What was your favorite? All right, well, I'm going to go with a cool video. There was this video um, of a UFO buzzing a football stadium in Argentina. Now, football, of course, we're meaning uh, football to the rest of the world, soccer to us. There was a soccer match taking place in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And this video is uh, from a camera, and uh, reportedly it's a television camera that was set up, and it's kind of at the sidelines. And it's recording, it's capturing the, the final goal of the game and showing everybody celebrating and everything. But there's this UFO that you see from one end of the stadium. It appears in the sky and kind of, it seems to, to change its direction and shoot and move at a very quick uh, rate of speed. So this had a lot of people um, say, wow, there was a UFO, check out its maneuverability and even... Mr. Scott Waring from the site UFO Sightings Daily that's routinely cited in a lot of these incredible UFO 
videos, uh, he was quoted as saying, this UFO demonstrates incredible agility as it moves up and down in altitude. But what's even more remarkable is its speed. In less than five seconds, it circled half the stadium. Um, it does look pretty impressive, and it does seem to cover a lot of the stadium in a very short period of time. When you watch the full video, there seem to be several UFOs in this video. Um, and some people pointed out that you know they could very easily be bugs or, or things like that that you know, would explain the fast movement, the blurs, things like that. Um, and I think we're looking at different things here. I think we are looking at some of these mysterious lights that we see zoom off in the video are bugs um, or, or birds or, or anything else that would be flying quickly through the air. The main UFO, though, that seems to have gotten the most attention does appear very strange. Now, one possible identification for this, and I think it's a good possible identification, is uh, what's called a, there are various names for it, but one is a Skycam, and you get the, the sense of what it is from the name, Skycam. It's, it's a, these wire-suspended cameras that you'll see at all, all sporting events, um, that are really used a lot in, in American football games and, and they're becoming more used in, in concerts and things like that. They provide production crews with these aerial views and they can zip these things along the cables very quickly and they do move very quickly and they would especially be moving quickly. It would make sense at the end of the game when the production crew is getting ready to take all this stuff down. Um, that's that's one possibility. And yes, they do move quickly, and the camera's not focused on it, so it's going to be blurry. You wouldn't necessarily make out the detail of it. That's just a possibility. Now, um, another thing that we've seen in, in past videos that resembles the behavior of this light a lot is airplanes coming in for a landing at a nearby airport. And there are many airports in the vicinity of that stadium in Buenos Aires. And it would particularly look like an airplane landing if this were a time-lapse video. Now, look, judging by the light alone, I was ready to jump on board and say that this was, a, in fact, a time-lapse video like we see at a lot of sporting events because with the apparent change in altitude of this thing and the way it turns and stuff, spot on how an airplane would maneuver coming in for a landing at a nearby airport. But if you look at the, the audience and the players on the field and the flashes from cameras in the stands, it doesn't appear to be a time-lapse video. And if it is, it's, you know, not, not um, time-lapse very, very much. So I wouldn't think that the movement of this unidentified object would be exaggerated that much. So Alejandro, I think it's, it's pretty mysterious. I, I am not entirely sure what to make of this light. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on the Skycam thing. Uh, I think that's a real strong possibility because it, com it comes from over where the goal was being made right. uh, and then zooms off of, of camera. So I think that's a strong possibility. But I don't – I guess with this one, I there's so many possibilities, uh, you know, that are tip normal kind of things that, uh, you know, I, I – certainly would not be too quick to jump to, to extraterrestrial on this one. Right, and I'm not going to jump to hoaxed video either. I mean, I did notice an anomaly right. in the video when I was listening to it and watching it. There is a point in the video where the audio track fades out and then fades in again. 
there's no reason for that. At yeah. least that we know. Of course, there could be a reason, but you know, that's that's a minor red flag showing that the video has, for whatever reason, been edited at least one time. So that was mysterious, but I don't really suspect any sort of hoaxing here. I yeah, think I think Skycam is a good possibility, but it's just that it's a possibility. Yeah, and I mean, this one, and and we're getting a lot of this. Certain people, and I guess this is nothing unusual, certain people are getting a lot of attention by immediately jumping to this extraterrestrial conclusion with anything right. that is remotely um, different in the sky. And so many of them turn out to be something mundane, but uh, it's certainly working to, to make certain people popular. And that, that gets a little frustrating because it's just putting out more... Uh, not as impressive stuff out there and, and getting pressed to stuff that uh, and overshadows some of the stuff that is more pr- impressive, I think. Yep, I agree with you completely. Yeah. So. Well, I thought the video was, was interesting. You know, yeah. it was, was not something that uh, could easily be identified. So yeah. there, there is definitely a mystery there. I think there are some, some possible and, and even probable answers to it, but it's still a fascinating video, and it it has a mystery there. Yeah. But I mean, the way you covered it is right. You covered a lot of different possibilities and pointed out a lot of the different uh, things going on, and you did a full examination here, but unfortunately, a lot of people who post this stuff at first just say, oh, look at this weird video. It's got to be an alien, and and that's it. You know, that's they right. Really I, don't, sh- I don't know what it is, so I know what it is. Right. So they really should do a full examination like you do before they come to any conclusions. But, of course, jumping to a quick conclusion gets you uh, a lot of eyes, and it gets uh, yep. a lot of people talking about you. Not so many people's doing. focus. Yeah. But you are... You're a little too kind to me there, sir, but thank you. I appreciate your kind words. All right, so what is your story of the week? Well, and they're not just kind words. They're deserved because uh, it's the best coverage of that story I've seen that you wrote. So uh, (laughs) another story that got uh, really popular on our site, the one that I'm going to talk about, we have a few other sightings that people can go check out, but uh, I'm going to talk about this uh, thing that Ben Hansen did. So Ben Hansen worked for the FBI. He's worked for uh, uh, in law enforcement for several years for different groups. And uh, he talks about how, you know, in law enforcement, of course, being able to tell if someone is lying or not is really important or if they're dece- deceitful at all. And so he studied, uh, you know, the nonverbal cues to find out if someone is being deceitful. And uh, he, he mentions he's no expert in it. But he's used it uh, in his professional career as a uh, law enforcement agent with the different places he's worked. And so he's learned quite a bit about it. So he wanted to take a closer look at uh, Jimmy Kimmel's interview with Bill Clinton about UFOs. And so he did this long. He said he just wanted to kind of take a a quick look, but it ended up being like this 35-minute YouTube thing that I know he spent a lot of time on because, like he said, he's not a professional editor or anything. But he did a good job in putting it together. It's very well done. But he analyzes it bit by bit, and he's pretty convincing, I think, in pointing out a lot of cues, uh, movements, how... Clinton kind of changed his position and changed uh, his, it wasn't as open, he seemed to be a little more reserved when he talked about UFOs and and careful, and uh, he seemed nervous, if not a little stressed when he was talking about this stuff, and uh, that to 
Hansen makes him think that perhaps there's some deceit or at least some stuff that he isn't sharing. Um, you know, he kind of goes on to think that maybe Clinton knows a lot more about this and maybe he did find something unusual when he researched Roswell. But uh, even though he says that he is Clinton stressed, and I think he, he makes a good argument for that, it's hard to say exactly why, though, because, of course, um, you look at someone like Kucinich, who had a UFO sighting, and when that was brought up, you know, they made fun of him, and it really damaged him, I think, a lot when he was running for president. And so uh, I think, you know, it could be just that Clinton's nervous about that, careful in choosing what he says so he doesn't seem like he's he's a lunatic or really gone off the deep end or something like that. So it's hard to say why he was nervous, but I think uh, Hansen makes a good argument that he was more nervous during that part than, than other parts of their, their talk. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with you that uh, the, the body language analysis is great in, in de determining possible elevated stress there, but anything beyond that is is just a presumption and, and uh, an educated guess on Van Hansen's part, and it's certainly a possibility. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about a lot, Clinton is very interested in, in UFOs, and, uh, you know, it would be understandable if he's more stressed or agitated with that topic because, as he points out, it's been a topic of frustration for him and, and uh, you know, something that he's hit roadblocks with. Well, and what's cool is that he's never denied that he had an interest either right. and that he did look into things and didn't find um, much there. But, uh, of course, it, I, I could say it would be hard to, to say that. Mm -hmm. and at the same time not be labeled a goofball. And, of course, you know how the media can go crazy and go wild with stuff like this. And uh, so you, you have to really be careful with the, how you choose your words so that doesn't happen, I think. Yeah, if it's a topic, you know, that you know is kind of a fringe topic and, and uh, you're on a comedy show and it comes up, you know, this is something that you are passionate about, something you believe in, that topic comes up. You're not really sure how how the questions are going to come and how how the audience is going to receive it. So I I understand that's that's something that you and I face, right? Uh, you know when that, that comes up, especially in an environment like that. I could see how it could be frustrating and and a little stressful. Here, all right, where's this going to go? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So um, yeah, even like you said, we can feel a little stressed when we're doing that sort of thing. So just a but little it, bit. But it is really interesting, and I think people. Um, have found it interesting that uh, that there was any stress there at all. The the headlines that have come out from from articles talking about Ben's analysis have been hilarious. Talking about how Clinton stressed about UFOs and uh, yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Yep, yep. So because I liked that right in ours. What was ours? Talking UFOs with Kimmel stresses out Clinton. Yeah, that's kind of fun. You're right. So cool. So there's the news. Thank you, Jason. Of course, uh, you can go to openminds.tv to see all of our news, and we post stuff daily. Yes, we do, and we do spacing out every week now. So look for spacing out every week on our YouTube channel or just at openminds.tv. Right. So let's go ahead and talk with uh, Maddie Beckerman. All right, I am very excited to have Maddie Beckerman on the show, the director and producer for Alien Abduction, the new movie. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show, um, especially because uh, you're kind of a, a UFO enthusiast, I understand. Yeah, you know, it, I really only became that way through making this film. Oh, um, really? 
yeah, it, it kind of converted me into initially I, I went into it very skeptically. Um, and then after interviewing people and really talking to them, locals who've been abducted and people who have seen the Brown Mountain Lights their whole life, um, I converted into someone who definitely believes and, and really follows it and studies it. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you first, uh, what inspired you then to make the movie? Was the movie your idea or was it a project that was brought to you? No, it was my idea. My family has lived in the mountains of North Carolina since the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And I'd always heard the stories of, of the Brown Mountain Lights. And if someone's not familiar with it, for over 800 years, there have been these mysterious lights that appear and disappear uh, around western North Carolina. Um, and it dates back to the Cherokee and Catawba Indians. Um, and it's, it's real. I, I mean, I've seen the lights myself. I've took, taken pictures of them. And, uh, and there's all these abduction stories that have happened right around that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've looked into the Brown Mountain Lights, of course, on and off uh, over the years. Um, I got to be on a travel channel show talking about it. But, and I've seen lots of video. And you're right, it's one of these mysteries that has never gone solved but continues to take place. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, what, it's one thing to see these lights like across a parking lot and, and, and uh, across a giant valley. It's another thing to see it 10, 15 feet away mm-hmm. um, and then it chase you down the highway. <laughs> now, it's pretty, pretty wild. I think you said you've had you had your own sighting. Was it during the shooting, or was it yeah, prior? It, it was during the shooting. Um, I went up there with my wife, and you know, because the Brown Mountain area has a lot of this Native American, um, you know, history with the Cherokee and Catawba Indians. The uh, I brought a friend of mine who is a um, a shaman who trained with the Caro uh, in Peru. And we, the three of us, sat up there, and he saw, um, and we we all saw like nine or ten of these giant orbs. Hmm. Uh, it was massive, and I wasn't prepared because we were just going there on like a whim. Uh, so I picked up my iPhone and started trying to take pictures of them, and they're just too far away for me to capture anything. Yeah, but we took pictures of us standing around, and what shows up in those images is amazing. Um, we actually have these beams of light that are shooting around us and off of us. Uh, and you can, then, then John, my shaman friend, started doing some energy work up there, and you can clearly see these just beams of energy coming out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so cool. And I put it up on our website. Um, if you checked out alienabductionfilm.com and went to my blog section, uh, there's a whole bunch of pictures we took that night. Right. Actually, I was looking at those, so really strange. And and was that were there other encounters um, that happened? Because you actually filmed in that area, right? Yeah. You know, we the whole movie is shot where the real lights are seen. Um, you know, we we were on location there the whole time, and you know, everybody up there was affected by it for sure. We we all kind of felt that that vibe and energy and the first night everyone moved into um, their places where they were going to stay at this like old ski lodge 
and Corey, who plays the older brother, flipped out, came and found me at 4 o'clock in the morning and said, there's, there's something in my room standing over my bed. Uh, and it was enough to wake him up and freak him out and, and demand that he switch rooms. Wow. Uh, so we did have a bunch of crazy experiences up there. Mm-hmm. And there's these lights and, and this experience. I mean, there are some people who um, feel that, of course, they might be extraterrestrial in nature, but some feel that they could be ghosts too, right? Yeah, there's you know there's stories throughout history, being that it dates back so long. Um, the original story was that um, there was a giant battle between the Cherokee and Catawba Indians and that, um, in that process, uh, a large amount of people died, and the lights are the maidens of these Native Americans who go out looking for them at night. Um, and then there's another amazing folk song called The Brown Mountain Lights, where a plantation owner um, goes out hunting, and he gets lost, and then all the workers go out looking for him, and they also go missing. Um, so this repeats itself. Uh, and it, it's a constant story of large groups of people going missing in the area mm-hmm. uh, throughout history. And it's always, you know, people equate it to ghost stories. People equate it to um, all different types of things. But the people that I've interviewed directly who talk about being abducted and talk about gray aliens, um, that just makes it all the more compelling that something larger is going on here. Mm-hmm. And so I guess when you first came across this, you kind of uh, noticed that uh, the government had done some research into this, and uh, you first had chosen the title Project Blue Book um, after that study, right? Yeah, Project Blue Book had studied the Brown Mountain Lights back in the 1950s, um, and they could not explain what it was. It was one of the unexplained files. Um, out of the tens of thousands of cases that they took on. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we were contending was that Project Blue Book has not actually shut down. Uh, and it was, a, you know, fictional, but it's a kind of a fun premise that uh, they just went into black ops uh, and they kept the department alive and well. Mm-hmm. And, and that was kind of, kind of just a fun way of thinking about how, um, you know, how the government still involved and the military is still involved. Mm-hmm. Now, I saw that on the, the viral website that you had, but um, is this a, a premise that's also introduced in the movie? Uh, very slightly. I mean, we don't really get into the heavy details, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the film, when the camera has been found, what you see is a U.S. Air Force um, uh, you know, uh, tent surrounding now where this camera has fallen, a Geiger counter reading the meter, and a guy walks up with a gas mask and a Project Blue Book um, uh, coverall, uh, you know, that, a hazmat suit, in order to pick this camera up. And that's just a real slight, like, hint and saying, like, thank you to ufologists who follow this stuff and saying, like, you know, if you guys get this, you know, you get it. All right. If you know what Project Blue Book is, you'll, you, you get that kind of wink. Well, and that's what's kind of cool, you know, with this movie is you've got lots of winks to actual UFO research and, and all of that in here. That there are different aspects you tried to stick to, and you even have a ufologist that uh, was a consultant of yours and, and was in the movie. Right? Yeah. yeah. So Joshua P. Warren, um, who 
uh, you know, I met through the process of making this film. We interviewed him, and his interview was great. So we ended up leading the entire opening of the film with interviews with, you know, with local people and Joshua Warren and a professor of physics and astronomy uh, who studies the Brown Mountain Lights at Appalachian State University, Dan Caton. Um, you know, I, I still think, and I keep on saying this, I think the Brown Mountain Lights is bigger than Roswell. It's bigger than Area 51 because people can actually go there today and see these lights, as have thousands of people for hundreds of years. This is a real phenomenon, and it's, and it's freaky. And that's a really good point, you know. I, I think that's what makes this phenomenon. There's a couple places in the world that are like this, but um, not too many in America where, where, like you said, it's a continuing thing that uh, people witness on a regular basis and uh, has been reviewed on a regular basis throughout the years and has never been explained. Yeah, completely unexplained. And, some, and there's been, it's been studied by the U.S. government three separate times that we know of. And the military are definitely running some operations up there. Um, there's, you know, there's definitely reports of like large groups of military um, throughout the area. And, you know, strange guys in, in, uh, in black SUVs, you know, monitoring people who go out there with any kind of testing equipment. Um, that happened to Joshua Warren. He was telling me that, you know, they were, when he went out there with that whole National Geographics crew to try to figure out what the lights were with some pretty heavy-duty equipment, um, they were pursued by, um, like, unmarked, um, you know, SUVs. Uh, and, and seems to seems to be some kind of cover up going on there. Mm-hmm. And um, less commonly known, I think, is uh, are all these cases of missing persons. Like I, I was aware of the song, um, but I didn't wasn't aware that this was a phenomenon that has continued um, through the years as well. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's a typical thing. People see the lights. Then um, someone goes missing. People go out looking for that person. And then those people end up missing as well. Um, and that is, that is a folklore kind of story. That's what happens throughout, throughout history. But um, the modern occurrences of abduction there are, are pretty startling. So one interview we have in the film a woman goes and she sees these, these lights in the sky, the brown mountain lights. She heads home, and she is sucked up against the ceiling of her bedroom. Um, she wakes up as if in a dream in her bed, and her husband jumps out of bed next to her and says, oh, my God, I just had the worst nightmare. Um, I was sucked up against the ceiling of the house. Uh, right as that happens, their daughter comes running in the room, and says, where have you two been for the past day and a half? We've been looking everywhere for you. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, the, that, that's like one of the you know, time loss stories, one of many, uh, of people seeing the lights, losing time, waking up somewhere unfamiliar to them, um, or familiar. But this happens over and over. So prior to, you know, you getting into the movie, uh, you hadn't really known about these stories and, and were skeptical. Uh, this had to be kind of shocking to you. 
It was. You know, I went into this really just making a movie that was going to be fiction and kind of, you know, fun. Um, uh, and then, you know, I started interviewing people. And, and these were police officers. These were school teachers. These were people who, um, salt of the earth, just great people uh, who had no reason to create a story. Um, and actually, when I interviewed the sheriff there, and I won't say his name, um, he asked that uh, we not use the interview after the fact. Wow. Um, and I said, you know, of course. He was scared that his reputation would be harmed um, and that he could lose his job mm-hmm. uh, and the ridicule that would come down on him from the department. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I didn't blame him at all. And, and these right. are... You know, these are constant stories of abduction throughout that area. I know for me and for others, you know, like uh, when you accept that these other realities or these other possibilities could be going on, it kind of changes your worldview, and and it can be kind of a, a shock to the to the system. Um, did you experience that? Yeah, completely. Um, and I feel like uh, this is going to sound a little hokey, but I was almost meant to make this film so that it would change my concepts from skepticism to open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, my life has changed because of it. You know, I'm really looking at things in a different light, and I have a little bit more faith in, in kind of the unknown around me. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the nature of the phenomena, I mean, what, what do you think... Uh, when it comes to, you know, possibly ghosts, possibly extraterrestrial or other, um, given your research and your interviews, what do you think? You know, there there is an energy there. There is some kind of, you know, main, like, vortex-type, um, you know, feeling. It's, it's so hard to describe. But while I was up there, um, it was... Uh, it was electrifying. It was it was a, a different kind of vibe. So the light um, coming there, it must just be attracting um, this type of energy there. And I think it is extraterrestrial. Um, whether it's uh, the actual greys who we actually we depict in the film, or some kind of energy being that can travel and connect with this universe right at that spot. Um, you know, I don't know for sure, but I know it, it, it definitely is real. There's something there, and I've been affected by it. You mentioned the how it would, you know you you cover the aliens and, and how the extraterrestrial was kind of a answer to the phenomena that you went with, uh, and you're talking about you know abduction stories and and things like this. And it was important for you, it looks like, to portray the beings um, in an accurate way as to what witnesses had described as well. Yeah, you know, I tried to keep the, uh, you know, the stories that people had told me, I tried to stick to that. And, you know, the classic gray alien um, is in most abduction stories. Uh, and so I felt the, the obligation to, to keep that, um, keep that look and keep that feel. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you had a sense, I mean, in a lot of the movie to kind of try to um, get out some of this research that you were finding, not just kind of stick to a complete fictional um, kind of interpretation. 
Yeah, every scene is based on reality, um, based on based on things that have happened, and and based on people's recollection of their abduction stories. One of the the scenes, you know, one of the clips that was released that got a lot of attention was uh, the birds uh, falling from the sky. Was that something that's been reported in that area? Yeah. So in West Virginia, not too far from there, um, the you know, tens of thousands of birds died and just fell out of the sky. Um, and there was no understanding of what it could be. There's also, you know, these giant fish kills that have been happening recently where millions of, of uh, fish will beach themselves um, on shorelines. And, you know, these mass uh, extinctions, I would call them, uh, are are something that uh, no one can explain. They don't know why it's happening. Uh, and we just put a little twist on it, that mm-hmm. it, it is something that's being controlled. Mm-hmm. Right, and that, yeah, it's kind of a scary scene where these people are kind of pelted with all these things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even imagine being in the middle of that. With It's almost out of Hitchcock and the birds. Or you've got... Tens of thousands of birds raining down from the sky. Yeah. Speaking of coming down from the sky, uh, it's kind of interesting too the, the footage or that you have of the found the camera that oh, yeah. that produces the found footage comes from from the sky. And yeah. uh, how did you get this shot? You know, with uh, the camera going out into the lower orbit. Well, what we did was uh, our director of photography, Luke Geisbuehler, had created this viral video uh, where he took a weather balloon, uh, launched it into low Earth orbit with a GoPro camera attached to it. And I had no idea he had done this when we first started uh, production, but I had this scene I had written in where the family gets abducted and, and sucked up into space. And yeah, I didn't know how we were going to do that because nothing we do is CG. Um, I just didn't have the budget for it. Wow, nothing. Yeah, I mean, th- th- we did do tiny little CG things, but we d- definitely didn't. There's not one full CG scene. Wow. Um, yeah, and so so we had to really practically do this. So when we get on set, I see this giant weather balloon and, and all the gear started coming in. I'm like. Luke, what are we doing? He said, oh, we're, we're going to launch the family and in, in, into space. Uh, we, so we actually did it. We, <laughs> we did this. We launched the balloon, and we were tracking it with these GPS trackers, and, and one of them was an iPhone. <laughs> it would find my iPhone in it. Um, but those shots we got were of the real curvature of the Earth, actual cool. space. Um, and... And the balloon goes up, and at a certain point, it explodes because of the pressure. And then the camera falls back to Earth. All those shots are real. Um, We did not know where the camera was going to land, and we lost two cameras. Two? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, The the first one is somewhere in the Great Smoky Mountains National uh, Forest. And the last known GPS coordinates are, uh, I'm going to post them at some point, and then I'm going to give a reward for somebody to find <laughs> Yeah. Them. That is so cool because we've thought of doing that because I've seen these kits you can buy uh, to do that and send up a GoPro and they kind of try to sell them to companies to, 
you know, because you can mount your logo or something in the foreground. Yeah. Uh, so really cool. I, this concept, my, my DP was the first guy to do this. And then Citibank did it and made a commercial out of it. And people have done this now based on his, his initial design. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah. It was so much fun, let me tell you. I mean, it was, it was a blast. Mm -hmm. it was so cool to try to track this thing and figure it out. And, uh, it, was, it was so cool. Well, and it's also kind of cool that this, and just like you described, a lot of the shots were done um, without CG, which especially these days is kind of unheard of, especially with sci-fi. Uh, did it offer up a, a lot of challenges? Uh, were there some benefits to that you found? I think there are tons of benefits to it. I mean, I'm a fan of the first, uh, you know, Star Wars, mm -hmm. the original, um, and then episode one, like, destroyed it for me with CG. Like, I, I, think, <laughs> I mean, I think when you have, um, when you have too much computer graphics, uh, it becomes fake feeling. Yeah. Uh, and everything we did was practical. Everything we did was in camera. I mean, the, the aliens are real. Um, and we hid them from sight, from the actors, right up until the moment they see it for the first time. Wow. No actors had seen this thing, and it freaked them out. And it's legitimate fear, legitimate scare. Um, it's different when you're doing that versus some computer graphic that's not there yet in the scene, and the actors can't work with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like that would be a lot harder which is what they do these days, you know, um, fearing the green screen as opposed to something that's actually chasing you down. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we didn't do any green screen. Um, we actually, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that's cool. And, you know, it's funny you bring that up because um, especially in the transition, uh, you know, when 2CG from the models was happening. I I was so diff disappointed because I'm a big sci-fi buff, and I hated the CG uh, stuff because it was just so fake looking. Like I remember, you know, I, I loved the Star Trek shows, and I wouldn't watch like Babylon Five because of all the CG. Yeah. And and it does lend. I mean, of course, film is beautiful. The camera work with the lenses, all of that can look really cool. And of course, Star Wars, like you mentioned. Oh, and uh, 2001, you know, did an amazing job with models, so... Yeah, uh, although, you know, when you go back and you actually physically can see something and you don't have to recreate every little piece, mm -hmm. um, it makes a huge difference. I mean, yeah, it shows like, you know, Star Trek and, and uh, even, uh, uh, what is it, Farscape, uh, where yeah. you have a lot of the models actually there. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge science fiction geek, so... yeah. I get into this stuff. Yeah, totally cool. That's really interesting. And which is also great because people have talked about how the film looks so good. Uh, it, it, You know, the, the camera work's well done. And I mean, I think that's especially um, important when there isn't CG work, which everything has these days. Yeah, I, I like the constraint of not being able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, the constraint of having to be creative in a different way. Mm -hmm. Or you can fix that in post. You can't because you have to have everything there. Right. I mean, the birds are real. Every, like what we did was when the birds are falling from the sky, we actually had 400 plus birds that I had a crew of like 40 people standing on the sides of the road throwing them. Um, 
and the birds are actually physically raining down on that car. Hmm. And are they like uh, um, stuffed dolls, some, or were they? Some uh, of them were. Uh-huh. We we ordered like on some reason people on Amazon like to create crafts with these giant crows. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it, it it's like a thing. So we ordered like every <laughs> stuffed bird that you could find on the internet. <laughs> That's funny. Wow, weird. There's probably a, a, crow, a stuffed crow shortage out there. Yeah, is this for like uh, witchcraft work or something like that? Who the heck knows? But we have all of them, so hands off. Well, now you can put them up on eBay and. Uh, yeah. But we couldn't find. Oh yeah, we could. We could do that. It'd be fun to do. <laughs> yeah, make we, the money back. Yeah, make the money. People will buy them. They're using them for their whatever dark arts thing. <laughs> right. Uh, but we we ran out of birds and we needed more. And uh, we we figured that you know the ones that are closer to camera you could really make out what they are. But the ones that are further down the road, um, those ones are just a black dot. So we got water bottles and painted them black. We got a piece of carpeting and cut them out. Um, a black carpeting, and it, and it looks almost perfect, and has the good weight to it too, because it's filled. Uh, and and we, we were throwing these water bottles with um, carpeting ripped out uh, in order to get the, these shots. It was a ton of fun, um, and and I loved it. I mean, we couldn't get, we had to do that shot about fifteen times. Wow. Um, and it wasn't working. Like uh, I was having a real hard time getting that first bird impact the windshield of their car. Uh, we tried throwing it. We tried getting a rope and like having them run directly into it. Uh, it just wasn't working. Hmm. And we had a, you know, a huge group of people out there that day, at least 150 working wow. on this scene, um, mainly volunteers, mainly people you know, from the university who, who wanted to help out, um, trying to coordinate everybody and keep them all you know, in place is tough. So finally, I was like, screw it, and I got one of these birds, and I put it on a, um, a fishing pole, and I got on, on the roof of the car, and I was smashing this bird into the windshield <laughs> while, while, it was, while the car was moving. Um, so it was, it was pretty treacherous. My wife was going to kill me for doing that. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's funny. Well, and what's funny, too, is that it seems counterintuitive that, you know, doing it the way you did would be cheaper than CG. I think, you know, people, when this first came along, you think, oh, people can sit in their basement and make their movie. And and it's weird that that it's come about that way. Yeah, it's it's so expensive because the processing power you need... Um, is massive, and these guys are artists who do the CG work. I mean, they're they're highly skilled, and I, you know, they're too they're just expensive. When you get a big CG house who knows how to do it the correct way, they they cost a fortune, and because they're used to getting paid that. I mean, you look at Avatar, and they spend two hundred and fifty million dollars to make a movie. I mean, our film was under eight hundred thousand dollars to make. Right. Wow. It's funny. And you know what it reminds me of? And I'm sure you're familiar with this um, because it was kind of before CG was really rolling. Uh, and it's certainly a not a well-produced piece, I think. But it, very effective was Alien Abduction, uh, same title, Incident in Lake County. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that was in like 1989. Right, and I'm so I'm sure you're familiar with that, and that was, you know, kind of uh, found footage, uh, alien to this family being abducted, and uh, even though it's kind of cheesy, uh, it's really scary. Yeah, yeah. For what it was back then, it definitely you know impacted people. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean I I remember. Um, I don't think I saw it until after we made our movie. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't, but but people pointed it out to me, of course, afterwards, and were like, "Hey, you need to see this." Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, "Oh man, it, you know, it's funny because you can see some well-known actors in it uh, now." Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. It's fun. You go back, you watch it, and you, I mean, the show Entourage, um, Sloan, who's uh, his girlfriend, is, mm-hmm. is clearly in it. Oh, um, wow! It's it's so funny to see that. That is like, really. That's when they're, first starting off, you know, is when, when she was first starting off as an actress. Right. <laughs> Our movie is, um, you know, on demand right now. Um, we're, we're, like, climbing the charts. It's, like, such an amazing thing to see. Uh, I, I, I'm just so happy that things have worked the way they have and that IFC put us out. And we had these amazing producers, um, Lawrence Bender and Mike Fleiss, and Lawrence Bender uh, did uh, every Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs, wow. Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, um, and Glorious Bastards. Like he, Lawrence, he, Lawrence is Tarantino's producer, mm-hmm. and he got involved really early, and it, it was incredible to to have someone like that. And that's probably why we've done what we have is because we had support from from producers like Lawrence and Mike. And Mike did Hostel and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our little movie, it's like a little engine that could. You just keep on plugging away. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask another question about the, the found footage genre and taking that aspect. So, like, yeah. when Lake County uh, happened, I mean, found footage was not a big thing, uh, you know, that, and but it was effective in the, the Lake County piece. But um, now it seems like, especially for alien movies, uh, found footage is really popular. Um, why did you choose to do it, and why do you think that is? Well, I had met with a psychologist, and he had an autistic patient who was a kid, who was about 11 years old. And uh, this kid stopped speaking uh, at, at all. He kind of went, uh, went quiet and kind of in, in, inward and wouldn't speak to anybody, wouldn't react to people. And the he used to you know play with uh, with his mom's phone and 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 that's about what he would do. So the psychologist gave him a flip camera, uh, and this kid started using the flip camera as almost his like security blanket. And he would start talking when he would make these videos with that flip cam it would allow him to somehow filter out all the input he was getting from the rest of the world and use that camera uh, as his security blanket. So I really found it fascinating. I said, this is a great premise for how, you know, in like Cloverfield or a movie like that, I think someone would drop the camera at some point. Mm -hmm. They're in the midst of this scary, crazy stuff when the giant... Godzilla-like beast shows up, I'm dropping that thing, I'm running. <laughs> right. Um, but if it is my safety blanket, if it is something that I can't be without, 
like this autistic kid, you're going to keep that camera on. You're going to keep rolling. Um, right. It's the only thing that keeps you sane. Right. And and that's what we did here is exactly that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and you're right. It, it justifies because that can kind of, um, you know, deter from the reality of some of the movies where you're like, why are they still holding this camera? Like you said, this giant monster is coming at them or killing people in front of them, and they're still holding the stupid camera. <laughs> yeah, they're still in it. But we, uh, I think we solved that issue with this uh, this way of telling the story. Cool. Yeah. So now that you take this phenomena more seriously, uh, how do people react when you tell them that? Because I'm sure some people ask you, well, you don't really believe in this stuff, right? Um, how do you... Oh, I, I defend it full on. Uh-huh. I, I completely defend it because it, it's important to me that when people come and share their stories of abduction with me, they know I will, I will um, be on their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that I will not ridicule them. I will not think they're not telling the truth. I'll listen completely, you know, open-hearted and, and say, you know, I understand. Um, and I think that's super important. I think anytime you're making a film and you're trying to get the realism there, you have to fully engage yourself in that topic. You have to completely immerse yourself in the universe that is um, this, this uh, uh, storyline. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, man. Are you planning on doing anything else uh, in this this kind of arena, um, influenced yeah. by this this newfound knowledge? Yeah, I think the thing that's fascinating me the most right now is hypnotic regression hmm. uh, and the, uh, quantum. Uh, what is it called? QHHT and uh, quantum quantum healing hypnotherapy uh, and people are being regressed into past lives and they go back beyond the past lives into... Are you familiar with this stuff? Yes. Okay, so they go beyond the past lives and suddenly they hit this higher self, this master, if you will, who um, kind of is a guide in their own life and is is your subconscious level uh, higher self coming through. And then... <laughs> people are going back even further beyond that and contacting what they're calling alien life, extraterrestrial life. Um, it's a little-known piece of science right now, um, and I think it hasn't been talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really fascinated with it because, one, I was regressed myself about a month ago, uh, and the things that were coming out of my mouth were insane. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, if, it's one thing to sit down with a medium and have them tell you blah, 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 your relatives or this and that uh, who have passed. Another thing for it to come out of your own mouth, out of, your, out of another voice that is not yours speaking through you. Right. And that actually happened to me. Mm-hmm. Now, finally, when it comes back to uh, the Brown Mountain Lights and all of these people you interviewed, was there one story that stands out, um, or maybe if there are a few, if you could pick one of them, that uh, had really made you think and and really uh, struck you? Yeah, so the police officer um, I interviewed, so he was on patrol 
uh, riding past the overlook, stopped there for a moment, and a, a giant orb came up over the, uh, over the gorge, up right onto the highway. It, it stationed itself above his car. He flipped out, started racing away from it. Uh, it chased him down the highway for a long time. The next thing he knows, he's waking up in his car like a day and a half later. Uh, and he has no recollection of what happened to him. Wow. And this is a typical story. Uh, mm-hmm. This is something that keeps repeating itself. Right. And why do you think people don't pay more attention to it? I mean, that's so shocking. Uh, why isn't this a, a bigger deal, you know, with the media and everybody out there? People are dismissive. Um, you know, you, you hear a story like that, and they're like, oh, this person's just nuts. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is, you hear a hundred stories like that, and you—that's—that's you, that's where uh, you know I can't get past it. I mean, maybe, um, maybe it's just like a groupthink mentality where people are feeding off of one another. But these are not people who want to have this story out there. Right. Uh, these are these are people who are terrified by it, um, and I—I I don't know. I think it's easy for you know the modern media to kind of. Um, look past people as wackos. Right. And I think, you know, people don't realize, kind of like you said, it, when these things happen, it's not like people want to go share that this happened to them. Um, or, you know, they think, they think, oh, well, this cop would have gone to the police station and gotten all of his buddies and they would have all gone to figure out what's going on and talk to the media. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, no. If he would have gone to the police station and talked about this, they would have all made fun of him for the rest of his career. Exactly. Yeah, so. They would have torn this poor guy apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not, I mean, there's a few of those stories. There's actually a group of people, um, Joshua Warren told me about this. So he interviewed a group of about 10 people who were there this night. Um, th- this guy uh, and his group of friends went to the lights and they were about to go see the lights at the Overlook. And by the way, this is a clearly marked area on the side of two major highways and its own overlook called Wiseman's View, uh, where there are signs up that say, Brown Mountain Lights, here's the history, and this is where you look to them. Uh, it's no, it's not like uh, it's, it's a hidden thing. So they all go to the overlook, and um, they're about to leave, and suddenly two major, major orbs show up, come right up onto the overlook, Everybody's running away from them, except this one dude who uh, is crazy enough to walk straight up to it. Um, everybody's like, no, 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 get away, freaking out. Uh, and he takes his arm and he sticks his hand right into it. Wow. And there's two different sides of this story. One is his perspective, and then the other is the people who actually witnessed it. Hmm. Um, he said it was like sticking his finger in an electrical socket, and it was an instant. And he said it happened in, like, in moments, like a few seconds. Um, the people that were with him said he was stiff as a board with his arm out for a good five or six minutes, um, and they couldn't do anything about it. Wow. So there's definitely some, some time distortion going on there. Um, perceptually, you know, so there's all these stories that come out of this area. It's yeah, constant. 
Yeah, well, and with these stories, it, it makes you kind of think, okay, cool, there's a place where you can go to witness this phenomena. But then when you tell some of these more scary stories, it's like, well, maybe I don't want to go there and check yeah. it out after all. Yeah, and there's, there's a guy that used to live there um, who, who passed away named Ralph Lale. And Ralph owned a gem shop. He would sell, like, you know, geos and cool stuff up there. But he was, you know, a good redneck, hillbilly kind of guy. Um, and he would pack a lunch and, you know, walk out into the woods and say, I'm going to meet my alien friends now. Um, and he would disappear for weeks at a time <laughs> with nothing with him uh, and just show back up. And, you know, everyone thought he was, oh, just a kooky Ralph Lale. But what he had in his shop, and I don't know how true this is, but I've seen the pictures. He had what he claimed was an extraterrestrial body. Um, and he would take people into this back room and show them this thing. Hmm. Uh, and this is all at Brown Mountain. Um, and he, he said the lights are definitely, you know, UFOs. Um, and he has a picture of this thing up. And actually, if you go to uh, joshuapwarren.com, he has the picture up there. And it might be actually brownmountainlights.com, too. Yeah. Uh, the picture of this alien body is there. It's funny you say that because I, I had this very picture up. Uh, wow. When you started talking about it, I was at Joshua Warren's site. So, yeah, pretty weird stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can't really tell what it is. It's not as clear as that body they found in the Atacama Desert. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it definitely looks inhuman. You can't really see what it is. But, you know, when Ralph Lale died, um, the his shop was bulldozed. Nobody knows why. Um, and the body has never been recovered. Hmm. Do you get a sense that there is some sort of cover-up um, at the government or somebody knows more and, and the information's being hidden? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think that at first, but uh, I definitely think it now. I mean, because I've talked to people who have seen massive amounts of military moving through that area. Um, and, and, you know, so this was a hot spot for UFOs or that plasma energy that's being created by the light is something. If I was in the military, I would try to figure out a way to harness that energy and use it. Uh, and that's what Joshua Warren's theory was, is that that plasma energy is something, you know, that's powered by, that's the powers of the sun. Hmm. Uh, so if you could tap into that and weaponize it, uh, it could be something pretty formidable. Wow, interesting. So your movie started, uh, was premiered about a month ago. Uh, people can see it on video on demand on all of the major places, Google Play, Amazon, iTunes. And if they go to alienabductionfilm.com, they'll be able to see all of this. And then also a listing of theaters. Yeah, yeah, we were in movie theaters and, I, you know, we're in Portland, Oregon right now. I think that was a the last showing we have. Uh, but now you can watch it on demand and see it um, on most major cable networks as well. Okay, cool. 
All right. Well, thank you so much um, for coming on. I think, you know, talking to someone, especially like you, someone who was involved with uh, creating the movie and everything, and knowing all of this background and what you went through makes viewing the movie um, so much more enjoyable because you get to see these parts. Oh, yeah, you talked about this, and I know where that came from and, and everything. So, And especially for my listeners who are really into the topic, um, I know they're going to be really excited to hear that uh, this whole experience has uh, kind of opened your eyes to, to this incredible phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad it did. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's opened me up, and I, I uh, embrace everything now. Yeah. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, it feels like, um, for me, and especially for a creative person, I would think, you know, uh, all the possibilities, so much more possibilities in life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yep, thank you. Okay, thank you so much to Maddie for doing this interview. It was a lot of fun, uh, really interesting stuff. It's really interesting to hear from someone who kind of goes from, from zero to 100 miles an hour. In other words, being skeptical about all of this stuff to all of a sudden, you know, his eyes opening to uh, new possibilities and getting into a, a lot of different stuff, as he said. So I think it'll be interesting what comes... Uh, comes from this in the future that he works on and I think it's a lot of fun when you talk to these guys and then go watch these movies you get to actually see how they uh, incorporated some of their beliefs or, or research into the film and so when you're watching certain scenes you can go oh yeah I remember he said this about that or he said this about this and and it makes kind of watching the movies a lot more fun so if you haven't watched Alien Abduction of course if you go to our website and look at the radio show uh, we've got a link to his website where you can go get it it's on iTunes Amazon Google Play Xbox the Sony Entertainment Network so it's all over the place online where you can download it and watch it which is what a lot of people are doing of course and then you can also uh, go see it in some films uh, or in some theaters and they've got a listing of the theaters and of course you'll be able to buy it on DVD I'm not sure if it's out yet I don't think so but uh, but I'm sure it will be soon. But uh, cool stuff. So thank you so much to Maddie. That was an awesome interview, and that was a lot of fun. Also, don't forget to check us out on all of the top social networking apps. We're on Twitter at OpenMinds.TV. And, of course, we're on Facebook at Open Minds Radio and Open Minds Magazine. You can also find me personally on Twitter at AstroATR and Jason's at AceCentric. You can find us both on Facebook just by looking for our names and of course Marines up there too from Spacing Out. Um, you can also find all the stories that we talked about in the news section at openminds.tv where we update you on the latest UFO news on a daily basis. You can also catch our UFO news webcast Spacing Out on our YouTube channel. So find all of that and more at openminds.tv. Thank you very much to the artist who created our music, Caleb Hanks. You can for find out more about his music and download some of it for free. I listen to it often, actually. I think it's really cool. But that's at theclerkchronicles.com. And thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another great show. So until then, adios muchachos.